Hello, everyone, and welcome to the November 7th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new case from the Court of Appeals says that a contractor who does not have workers' comp insurance must disgorge all payments back to the customer. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of Paul Zinchik versus James W. Moore. In 2007, Moore entered into a contract to construct a new single-family residence on property owned by Zinchik in Oakland, California. The construction estimate was almost $1.5 million. Moore held a valid general contractor's license and filed a workers' compensation certificate of exemption with the state contractor's licensing board that claimed he did not have any employees. At the inception of the work on the project, Moore hired Beatrice Perez Stable to help with the paperwork. He characterized her as an independent contractor and paid her a flat rate of $25 an hour. She had done the same work on another project for Moore in the past. Moore did not take out payroll deductions or expenses for Perez Stable and did not provide her with any employee benefits. He also did not maintain a workers' compensation policy or file 1099s. Moore historically paid for workers' comp coverage for employees of his company and was aware of the requirement for workers' comp. However, Moore testified that he did not have any employees at the construction site and hadn't had employees for a number of years before this. Zinchik terminated the contract with Moore as a result of various disputes and subsequently filed an action against him for breach of construction contract, fraud, and negligence. A claim for disgorgement and recovery of compensation paid to Moore due to his license suspension as a matter of law was subsequently added to the complaint. The trial was bifurcated and proceeded on the disgorgement claim alone. The trial court found that Perez Stable was Moore's employee rather than an independent contractor. The court further found that as a result of his failure to have workers' comp insurance for Perez Stable, Moore failed to maintain his status as a duly licensed contractor at all times during the performance of the contract, and therefore he must disgor disgorge the sums paid to him under the construction contract with the owners. The Court of Appeal in the unpublished opinion of Paul Zinchik versus James W. Moore sustained the findings in favor of the homeowner. While Moore indisputably possessed a valid contractor's license when the project first started, his license was suspended by operation of law for his failure to obtain workers' comp coverage for an employee. Section 731 Subdivision A of the Contractor's License Law is a complete defense or shield for the parties who are sued by an unlicensed contractor for compensation. And Subdivision B of Section 731 adds a sword remedy to the hiring party's litigation arsenal, allowing the customer to recover all compensation paid to the unlicensed contractor. Accordingly, the homeowners were awarded reimbursement from Moore in the amount of nearly $890,000. A new case says that SEGA is not obligated to pay costs and interests in a subrogation action. Here's what happened in the published opinion of Kenneth Clark versus California Insurance Guarantee Association. Clark was injured while working at a construction site in 1999. 
he filed a workers' comp claim against his own employer and a personal injury action against D.J. Scheffler, claiming its employees' negligence contributed to the accident. Scheffler maintained insurance coverage through Reliance Insurance Company. After a jury verdict was rendered in the case, but before judgment was entered, Reliance was declared insolvent and Sega assumed handling its claims, including Scheffler's defense in the underlying action. Judgment was entered in January 2002, awarding Clark a net recovery of over $380,000 plus costs and prejudgment interest. The total of costs awarded to Clark was nearly $41,000. The prejudgment interest was nearly $30,000. SIGA paid over $392,000 but did not pay all of the awarded costs and interests. Clark filed a suit against SIGA to recover the remaining costs and interests. Clark said they still owed nearly $200,000 in costs and prejudgment interest plus additional post-judgment interest. Sega filed a motion for summary judgment, which was granted, and Clark's case was dismissed, and Clark appealed the dismissal. The Court of Appeal in the published opinion of Kenneth Clark v. California Insurance Guarantee Association agreed with the trial court. As a third-party judgment creditor, Clark could not recover his costs and interests in a direct action against Sega. The supplemental payments provision in the policy gives the right to recover costs taxed against the insured only to the insured who is directly owed the defense duty. A third-party judgment creditor is merely an incidental beneficiary of obligations like the supplemental payments provision that arises under the duty to defend. Unless the third party obtains an assignment by the insured of its rights under the insurance contract, the third party has no right to bring a claim upon a duty owed only to the insured. And now our fraud report. GlaxoSmithKline said it will pay the U.S. government $3 billion to settle several long-running criminal and civil investigations into the company, including allegations that Glaxo marketed some drugs illegally and defrauded Medicaid program. The settlement will also cover a Department of Justice probe into Glaxo's development and marketing of the diabetes drug Avandia, which has been linked to heart attack risks. The final settlement terms are still under negotiation. The deal is the latest in a string of large settlements the U.S. government has struck with drug companies as it tries to stamp out illegal marketing practices that flourished in the 1990s and the early part of 2000. Critics of the industry say the sums, while large, are still dwarfed by the profits companies earn from marketing their drugs improperly. Glaxo said the settlement includes an eight-year-old probe into the company's marketing of several top-selling drugs, including the antidepressants Paxil and Wellbutrin. Glaxo has disclosed that investigators examined whether Glaxo promoted Wellbutrin for uses not approved by the Food and Drug Administration and illegal practice known as off-label marketing. Investigators have also examined how Glaxo portrayed risks of suicidal behavior while taking Paxil. Glaxo said the $3 billion settlement will also cover a Department of Justice investigation into the development and marketing of Avandia, a diabetes drug that was once one of Glaxo's top sellers. 
The settlement also covers the Justice Department investigation into whether Glaxo manipulated Medicaid rules to squeeze more money out of the state-financed program. The Glaxo chief executive said that Glaxo has fundamentally changed its procedures for compliance, marketing, and selling in the U.S. to ensure that they operate with high standards of integrity. A number of big drug companies have struck large settlements with the U.S. in recent years to resolve similar investigations. In 2009, Pfizer agreed to pay $2.3 billion to settle a federal investigation into whether it promoted the painkiller Bextra off-label. Eli Lilly agreed to pay $1.4 billion to settle similar charges involving its antipsychotic medicine, Zyprexa. AstraZeneca and Novartis also made big settlements last year relating to their marketing practices. Sixteen people associated with a Glendale medical clinic, including a doctor and the owners of a San Marino pharmacy, were arrested by federal authorities on criminal charges related to an $18 million scheme to defraud Medicare and Medi-Cal. Among other things, they are charged with fraudulently prescribing expensive antipsychotic medications and then rebilling the government for those drugs over and over. A federal criminal complaint alleges a scheme in which people associated with Manor Medical Imaging Clinic and pharmacies in and around the San Gabriel Valley participated in prescription harvesting scheme. This is the first case in the nation alleging an organized scheme to defraud government health care programs through fraudulent claims for antipsychotic medications, a type of scheme that investigators say is on the increase around the nation. Court documents outline a conspiracy in which Manor operated a bogus clinic, authorized to make claims to Medicare, employed a doctor to write prescriptions, and had close relationships with pharmacies and a fraudulent drug wholesale company that was used to funnel prescription drugs back to the pharmacies participating in the scheme. The affidavit in support of the criminal complaint alleges that Manor used cappers to recruit Medicare and Medi-Cal beneficiaries, including veterans, the homeless, low-income patients, and the elderly, whose beneficiary information was used to bill Medicare and Medi-Cal for millions of dollars worth of illegitimate medical services and prescriptions for expensive antipsychotic drugs. The drugs that were dispensed by the pharmacies allegedly did not go to the beneficiaries. Instead, they were diverted to black market wholesalers and back to the pharmacies where members of the conspiracy relabeled, repackaged, and redispensed bottles of the medications so they could submit new bills as though the drugs had never been dispensed. As a result of this scheme, more than $18 million in fraudulent claims were submitted to Medicare and Medi-Cal, which paid out approximately $7.3 million. The primary pharmacy involved in the case, Huntington Pharmacy in San Marino, saw a huge spike in claims to Medi-Cal, going from just under $45,000 in 2009 to nearly $1.5 million in 2010. And the vast majority of claims were the result of prescriptions written by Manor's in-house doctor. According to the criminal complaint, the owners of Huntington Pharmacy were receiving kickbacks and structuring cash deposits totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars into their personal and business accounts. More than 200 agents from across the country participated in this enforcement action. 
The investigation in this case, which was called Operation Psyched Out, was conducted by the San Marino and Glendale Police Departments and numerous state and federal agencies. A new lawsuit filed in Riverside County alleges that Dr. Kali Chanduri engaged in fraud, racketeering, and corruption with respect to a number of interrelated medical companies. Hemet Community Medical Group is a Chanduri-owned independent physician association that contracts directly with HMOs for payment of medical services. The suit filed in Riverside Superior Court alleges that Chanduri, along with his management company, KM Strategic Management, has engaged in a pattern of fraud and racketeering. It is further alleged that his group has cut off much-needed funds belonging to several medical groups that care for thousands of patients in Riverside County. The suit alleges that Chanduri has a history of siphoning out money from medical groups and financially choking doctors' ability to provide care to their patients. According to the lawsuit, Chanduri acquired the Med Partners Medical Group in 1999. Within the first 18 months, $30 million in assets had disappeared, and Chanduri had run up a debt of $450 million to local doctors and other creditors. Having allegedly completely fleeced the entire healthcare operation, Chanduri then allegedly threw the company into bankruptcy, closed all 81 clinics, fired all employees, physicians, nurses, technicians, secretaries, and other staff members. The lawsuit charges that Chanduri's wrongful conduct has been not only financial, but has also directly violated state and federal laws designed to protect patients. Chanduri could not be reached for comment. His associates claimed he was out of the country. One of the owners and operators of KM Management said the allegations are baseless and result from a business disagreement and lawsuit that was filed earlier this year against two medical groups. And in medical news, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated that as of last year, 12 million Americans were using prescription opioid or narcotic pain relievers such as Vicodin, Oxycontin, and Methadone for the high they cause instead of their true medical purpose or without a legitimate prescription. Many get the drugs by eliciting prescriptions from several doctors, also known as doctor shopping, or through so-called pill mills, prescription forgery rings, and illegal online pharmacies. The amount of painkillers made available to pharmacies, hospitals, and doctors' offices quadrupled from 1999 to 2010, contributing to the overdose death rate that more than tripled over the decade. The CDC director told reporters that there is a bigger problem created by a few irresponsible doctors than by drug pushers on street corners. In fact, enough painkillers were prescribed last year to medicate every American adult every four hours for a month. Officials said the system is awash with opioids, drugs that get people hooked, and keep them hooked. The painkiller abuse problem at its worst in Oklahoma, where more than 8% of the people over the age of 12 abused opioid pain relievers. Oregon was next in line with almost 7%, and the rate was just over 6% in Rhode Island and Washington State. New Mexico, West Virginia, and Nevada saw the most people killed by the abuse. 
Federal inspection reports say that Harbor UCLA Medical Center has failed to keep its operating rooms clean and safe and to protect its patients from possible infection. Inspectors found rooms that had holes in the ceilings or that were dusty and cluttered. They also found that operating rooms were kept at the wrong humidity level, which can lead to the spread of germs. And that hospital staff members also were not washing their hands according to policy. The report concluded that the hospital failed to maintain a sanitary environment for the provision of surgical services. The infection control problems found at the county-run hospital earlier this year were so serious that the federal government sent a letter this summer threatening to revoke Medicare funding, a move that could financially destroy the institution. And now the county has submitted a plan of correction. The hospital's chief executive earlier this month said the Torrance Area Hospital has addressed all the concerns raised by inspectors. The correction report noted several changes, including weekly audits of infection control risks and more staff education on hand washing. Officials said that these issues continued to arise because of the age of the hospital, which was built in 1963. Los Angeles County is spending over $300 million to construct a 190,000-square-foot building at the hospital that will replace both the surgical facilities and the emergency room. Completion is expected in 2013. Officials say completion of the new building is a crucial part of their plan of correction. And in financial news, an NCCI study says that large workers' compensation claims are subject to higher cost inflation and slower payouts for medical services compared with smaller claims. In its Medical Services by Size of Claim study, NCCI found that medical services now constitute almost 60% of workers' comp claims costs, up from about 40% in the early 1980s. Some of the key findings of this report demonstrate the characteristics of medical costs on these claims. Office visits and emergency services dominate the service mix for smaller claims. Surgery and anesthesia are a larger share of the services for mid-range claims. And hospital services and prescription drugs compromise more than 40% of the costs of high-value claims that are greater than $100,000. Large claims in general are subject to greater inflation than smaller claims. The CPI for the prices of hospital services has recently been growing at a faster rate than the CPI for office visits or physical therapy. The varying mix of services by claim size has implications for the payout rates by type of service. Office visits, physical therapy, and emergency services all have relatively fast payout patterns. Hospital services and prescription drugs have relatively slow payout patterns. For every claim size range, prescription drugs are a substantially greater share of total medical costs paid after the sixth service year. The study would also confirm the general industry preference for a compromise and release of future medical care when possible. And in other news, Brian Bogardis has been appointed the new president of CompWest Insurance Company, a division of Accident Fund Holdings. In his role, Mr. Bogardis will serve as a key executive team member and is responsible for establishing the strategies required to build a profitable, innovative business in the Western Territories. 
The president and CEO of Accident Fund Holdings said that Mr. Regardis brings over 20 years of experience and expertise in the workers' comp insurance field, as well as a proven track record of leading organizations through challenging economical conditions. Mr. Regardis most recently served as Senior Vice President of Corporate Operations for Seabride Insurance Company. Prior to that, he worked in a couple of other capacities, including Senior Resident Vice President for the Western Region and Senior Vice President for Underwriting Operations. And he has 17 years in a variety of capacities for Safeco Insurance Company, including Region Underwriting Manager, Region Sales Manager, Commercial Division Vice President, and Assistant Vice President of Workers' Compensation. Republic Indemnity Company of America, a wholly owned subsidiary of Great American Insurance, announced that it has hired Alan Goodwin as Senior Vice President of California Operations. Mr. Goodwin joins Republic from Advantage Workers' Compensation Insurance Company, where he recently held the title of Vice President of Underwriting and Insurance Operations. He brings more than 20 years of underwriting and management experience to Republic. Mr. Goodwin holds a Master of Business Administration degree from the University of Utah and also a Bachelor of Science in International Business Finance from Brigham Young University. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.